All right, y'all ready? All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. Let's make our way to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13. Um, if you have a study sheet, I'd encourage you to, to grab that. I think we have some extras out um, in, the, in the foyer, or you can hit that QR code, pull it up digitally, what have you. As you're turning there, I do want to say a huge thank you to everyone who came yesterday, uh, whether it was for a short amount of time or uh, a prolonged amount of time. We got a lot of things done here in the building. I'm really grateful and uh, just so thankful for everybody that was here. Um, it's a good time. It, it does build camaraderie. It builds times of great com- conversation, fellowship. And uh, listen, some of y'all sacrificed a lot of time to be here, and I'm truly, truly grateful. So thank you for that. Um, uh, one other thing, um, we've been plugging this Why the King James thing, uh, which is going to be on Wednesday nights for a few weeks. Um, and I shared my heart behind that this last Wednesday. Um, really have two goals with this. Uh, three, really. Number one, just lay out why we, have the, why we teach and preach from that. Okay, well, that's one goal. But really the main goals are this. Number one, that you, have act, that you will know that you have access to God's perfect inspired word. That's goal number one. And the goal number two is that you would access God's inspired word. Those are the two main goals that I have uh, for, for this class. We'll still be spending time in prayer, um, but uh, we're, we're gonna kick that off February, February 1st. I can't say that word. So somebody, that month, January and March, I can say it, but that, that, that Feb, I can't say it. You know, there's just some words you can't say. That's one. I've never been able to do it, and I'm just not gonna say it. So the second month of the, of the year, on the first day, that's how the Bible would say it, then that's, that's, how, uh, that, that's where we're going to be. All right, so Genesis chapter 12 um, and, and chapter 13, Lord willing, we're going to cover both chapters today. We're going to do a big survey of the scriptures. We're getting ready to go a little bit macro, so especially next week, we're going to cover a large portion of scripture. But I just want to kind of take us back for a moment and remind us of what we looked at last week just historically. All right, so just look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And I made mention last week that these are some of the most important verses in your Bible because it establishes the beginning of the nation of Israel, right? That you have the 70 nations you find in chapter 10. Chapter 11, those nations get dispersed through language. In chapter 12, God singles out a man named Abram and begins a brand new nation called eventually the nation of Israel, but it's tied to the children of Eber, right? The Hebrew people. So historically, that's what's happening in verses 1 to 3. But doctrinally, there's something big happening here in chapter, in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, is that this is the lineage. This is the line that God has chosen that the promised seed that's promised in Genesis 3.15 is going to come through Abraham's line. Everybody with me on that? That's doctrinally what, that's why it's so important that the promised seed is coming through Abraham. We tr- you can trace his lineage all the way back to Adam, but it goes, to, goes through Abraham. And I want you to see something here in verse 2. And it says, I will make of thee a great nation. And that does happen over time. 
And it says, and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And that blessing that's to all nations is Jesus Christ. We spent some time laying that out last week. But I want you to key in on verse three. Because verse three says, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And I'm telling you, you can go back to history. You can check this out. Every nation that chooses to bless Israel gets blessed. And every nation that chooses to curse Israel gets cursed. And I'm telling you, I don't get political ever. But I'm telling you, the moment the United States turns its back on the nation of Israel, it is over. It is over. That's, that's the biblical promise. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And so blessing and cursing for all nations is summed up in that. In fact, just write this cross-reference down. It's Zechariah chapter 14. I don't have it all on the screen, but in Zechariah chapter 14, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he literally rules and reigns from Jerusalem, from a third temple, the nations have to flow back to Israel. And how they treat Israel determines whether they're blessed or cursed, even during the millennial reign of Christ. So bless this promise from chapter 12, verse 3, has been true, will continue to be true, and will be true forever. And we made the point, as the, as the nation of Israel goes, so goes the world. It is the ancient landmark, and we cannot move it. And so this is some very, very important pieces of, of passage of Scripture. So that's historically and doctrinally. And then we spent some time inspirationally. And I got some stuff on the screen just to remind you of where we were last week. So God promises to bless complete obedience. That's our, that's our review. Is God promises to bless complete obedience, and you have to be willing. So what does that look like for you? What does that look for me? You have to be willing to completely leave everything you know. Now, we made, we made point of this last time. This does not mean that you have to do it, but you have to be willing to leave everything you know. That's what God told Adam, or told, told Abram. Get away from thy country, from thy kindred, get away. That you have to be willing to completely leave everything you know. Stay in verse 1. Also, you have to be willing to step out in complete faith. He says, unto a land that I will show thee. In other words, you haven't seen it. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I'm going to guide your steps. So we're dealing with the issue of obedience, and God blesses complete obedience. And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for me? Well, we get an example here with Abram. You're going to be tasked with being willing to leave everything, Stepping out in faith, in verse 2, you're going to find that you've got to be willing to allow God to completely transform you. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to cause you to be a blessing, right? You see that in verse 2. And then in verse 3, in verse 3, you've got to be, completely, you've got to be willing to completely allow people to respond to what God is doing in your life. If God is moving in your life, people are going to respond. They're going to respond with blessing, and they're going to respond with cursing. Amen? You know that's true. As God begins to move in your life and you know it, God is speaking to you, God is transforming you, you're getting discipled or you begin to disciple, people will respond and some will bless and some will curse. Let them because God will respond to their response. Let God do the responding to them. Not your job, you just follow the Lord. Amen? So that's where we were last week. So let me take you to the title of today's message is that you will wrestle with complete obedience. Remember that was the last point we talked about last time? It's like, yeah, there's no way we're covering two messages. There's no way. So we, okay, here was the point. You're gonna wrestle with complete obedience. I wrestle with complete obedience. Would y'all agree with me? Amen. We all wrestle with complete obedience. 
Now, God blesses obedience completely. He completely blesses complete obedience, but you're going to wrestle with it, no doubt about it. And what you find, go to chapter 11 for a moment. Chapter 11. Because in chapter 11, verse 31, it says, And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son. In other words, Abram's nephew, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. What's the problem that you read in verse 31? There's a problem. Because you find is that God had already told him to leave his country, leave his kindred, leave his family all behind. And what does he do? He leaves his country behind. But he doesn't leave his family behind. He goes with his dad. And he, and he goes with his nephew. And they go all the way up to this land of Haran. And then it says this, verse 32. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right, so he begins by leaving his country. And he's fully planning on going into Canaan. I guarantee that was his mission. Okay, God is speaking to me. I guess it's time for me to go. He's excited about what God might do in his life. And so it causes him to leave Ur of the Chaldees on his way to Canaan, but he makes a pit stop in Haran. And he stops there. Maybe because dad's getting old, I don't have a clue. But he's fully intending on going to Canaan, but he stops in Haran. Now, Haran, that word, means parched place. That's what it means. Parched place. He dwells in the land where, where it's parched. Now, I had a map up last week. I want to show the same map this week, just so you can get a visual in your head. So notice down here in the bottom corner, number one, that's where he's from, Ur of the Chaldees. He's from way down there. God speaks to him. Hey, leave your country, leave your kindred, leave everything behind. And he gets up and he goes, but the problem is he doesn't leave his family behind. Is he in complete obedience? No, he's not in complete obedience. He's in partial obedience. He makes it all the way to number two. He makes it to Haran, and he camps out there with dad, with his, with his nephew, and does all those things until daddy dies. And then after daddy dies, then it goes down into the land of Canaan. Y'all seeing this? Just get in your mind, that's, that's what's happening here. There's a, it's a long, long trip, but here's the point I want you to get. Here's the point I want you to get. Being close to where God wants me is not the same as being where God wants me. Being close to where God wants me is not the same as being where God wants me. Now, he's close in the map, right? He's close, like he's on his way. But man, I grew up hearing um, close only counts with handguns, right? With hand grenades, right? Horseshoes and hand grenades and always said anatomic bombs, right? You get close enough, you can get those. But listen, being close is not obedient, just because you're close to where God has called you to be, just because you're close does not mean that you're where God wants you to be. Now, Acts chapter 7 is going to give us some insight. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. It says, The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. That is Ur of the Chaldees, right? That's the place. When he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. So God spoke to him while he's in Ur of the Chaldees. Verse 3, And said unto him, Get thee out of that country and from thy kindred, and come into the land which I shall show thee. So God speaks to him. He hears it. He gets up, and he goes. Verse 4, then came he out of the land of the Chaldees and dwelt in Haran, and from thence, look at this, 
when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. He went in partial obedience, partial obedience. And even then in verse four, after daddy dies, he goes down to the land of Canaan. He's still in a place of partial obedience. So what you find is that Abram is torn between wanting what God wants and leaving what he already has. Can you, can you relate to that? Wanting what God wants, but at the same time, leaving what I already have. That's Abram. And that's where he's at. And I think we can learn from that. And so I asked you earlier, do you struggle with complete obedience? And everyone in here pretty much said, oh yeah, I struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I struggle with letting go. I really do. And maybe you find yourself saying, you know what? This is close enough. I mean, close enough, isn't God pleased with that? At least I'm partially obedient. But you remember last week, God only blesses complete obedience. If you don't get anything, I I want you to get this today. I told Kara last night, I really hope people are blessed by, by by this passage. God desperately wants to use every single one of us in this room. And it's gonna look completely different for every single one of us. Praise the Lord. We want it to look different for every single one of us. But don't you dare think that you just going in that direction in in incomplete or partial obedience is going to receive blessing from God. It's not going to happen. He's not impressed by you being close enough. He's not impressed by me being close enough. If God has spoken to me, and I can lay it out through the word of God, this is what God would have for my life. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing in my life. And I move forward in partial obedience, there is zero blessing but I'm pursuing and I'm going that way. Well, congratulations, that's good. I'm glad that you know what God wants, but knowing and doing are not the same thing, amen? Amen. Knowing and doing are not the same thing. And here's what happens is that many Christians, we dwell in the land of parts land of close enough. And maybe that's where you are today. You are in Haran, you are in a parched land of close enough. But notice in verse 32, He has to wait until dad dies. He waits until his dad leaves him. He doesn't leave dad. He waits for dad to leave. Big problem. How many years? We don't know. We have no idea how long this takes. How many years get wasted waiting on dad to leave? Years get wasted here. Waiting on his dad to die. And how many years have you wasted? How many years have I wasted? Because I'm unwilling to leave someone or something behind. I really want us to consider that this morning. If God is speaking to you and God is directing you and you can go to a passage of scripture and say, okay, this is what God is is doing in my life. Well, here's what I know it's going to cost. It's going to cost you someone or it's going to cost you something. And you're going to waste a lot of time You're going to waste a lot of time in your life missing out on what God wants to do through you because you're unwilling to leave someone or something behind. Now, for Abram, he was willing to leave the somewhere. But there were just some people in his life he did not want to leave behind. And it caused a lot of headache. Remember, God only completely blesses complete obedience. 
All right, so chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said. So he's reminding, this is what God had said. Okay, well then let's get to verse 4. Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram departed. Well, when did he depart? After dad died. After dad left. He didn't leave dad. Dad left him. And so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken. See? The Lord had said, verse 1, the Lord had spoken in verse 4, said, spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. So, let me ask the question. Is he in complete obedience or partial obedience? He's in partial obedience. Why? Because nephew's with him. Lot is still with him. Oh, man, you're doing a great job. You're finally getting into the land. You're finally going where God wants you to go. Praise the Lord. And yet, you're still in partial obedience. Why? Because his nephew's with him. He takes Lot with him. Then Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. If you, we don't have time, but if you go to chapter 18, you would find that his wife is 10 years younger than him, and she's 65 years old. And later in the chapter, you find out she's very beautiful. But chapter 11 reminds us that she's barren. She has no children. So she's 65. He's 75. So he's 75 years old before he finally taps into what God wants for his life. It's later in his life that he finally taps in. Imagine what could have been. Imagine. All right, so he takes the next step towards his obedience, but he brings his family, so he's in partial obedience. Here's the next point I want you to get. Where God is leading me may not be where God is leading them. Can we get that? Where God is leading me may not be where God is leading them. But God's moving my life, and if God's moving in my life, maybe he can move in their life too. Yeah, God wants to move in their life too. But all too often we try to drag someone we love into our calling instead of allowing God to speak into them. This is what God's doing in my life, and so I'm dragging people along into what God's doing in my life. But if God didn't call them to that, if God didn't call them into that place, then they don't belong where I am. Amen. Y'all with me? Doesn't mean he doesn't, he loves Lot. And he loved his death. There's nothing wrong with those guys, other than the fact that they're idolaters, Joshua, other than the fact that they're serving false gods. I mean, there's an issue there. In fact, the Bible even says Lot is a just man. He, he's, a, he's, he's right with the Lord. He's got a good biblical understanding of who God is. And yet, Abram bringing Lot causes a lot of problems in Lot's life later. And so where God is leading me may not be where God is leading them. You got to get that. And you can want it so bad for somebody else. But please get this. You need to allow God to lead them to be where God wants them to be. Wouldn't you rather them be where God wants them to be instead of where you want them to be? Wouldn't you, would, I mean, wouldn't that be a better thing? But God's moving in my life, and look what God wants for me. For you, not for them. Let God lead them where God wants them. And let God lead you where God wants you. Can I get an amen? Y'all with me on that? Are we all awake? I'm really excited about this, and I, I hope this really unlocks some things for us. All right, you got to allow God to do, be God. Listen, 
Parents, can I just speak into you just for a moment? Because this is a lesson I'm learning. Still learning. A lot. Your children belong where you are. Right? I want you to hear that. Your children belong where you are. Until it's time for them to launch off to where God would have them to go. For God to use them. Wherever God leads me, that's where my kids go. That's how that works. That's, how, that's where my wife goes, that's where my kids go. Until they're no longer under, under me. Does that make sense? And then they're the gods. God's got to move in their life. And I got to be willing to let go and let God. That's terrifying, isn't it, parents? It's absolutely terrifying. But you got to be willing to let God do his work. You have to. Go to chapter 12. I want to camp out on this point just for a moment. Look at verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Keep reading. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Verse nine, here's the problem. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. All right, so Abram goes right to where God wants him to be. The problem is he's still in partial obedience because Lot is with him. And here's, here's, here's the point you got to get. I won't appreciate where God has me when I look through the lens of partial obedience. When I look through the lens of partial obedience, I will not appreciate what God has for me. God comes to him in verses six and seven. He's in the land. He shows up in the plain of Mori. And God says, hey, check this out. This is the place. This is the land that I'm going to give to all your children, the seed that follows after you. Unto thy seed, verse 7, will I give this land. And so what does he do? Oh, man, that's awesome. Builds an altar. Calls on the name of the Lord. Well, that's great. So here's what God does. God reveals to Abraham and says, hey, this is where your seed belongs. In other words, Abram, I want you to think generationally. I don't want you to see right now. I want you to see in the future. Can you envision this whole land filled with people because you finally made it here? Can you, can you envision that, Abram? Because this is the land that's going to be for all your seed. That's great news, isn't it? Think generationally, Abram. But Abram's actions in verse 8, here's what Abram's actions say in verse 8 then where do I belong? I have to find where I belong. Because in verses six and seven, hey, this is where your people, are, this is your seed. And then it says in verse eight, and he removed from thence. Where are you going? Where are you going? Well, I'm heading south. Well, what are you going to find south? Well, I'm going to find a, plot, a spot between Bethel 
and Hai. That's what I'm going to do. And so in verse 8, he gets to this mountain on the east of Bethel and pitches his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. This is the same Ai that you read about in the book of Joshua that sent the entire Israeli army running. All right, so Hai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he says, okay, maybe this is where God would have me. Because he's not thinking generationally. He's not thinking in the future. He's only thinking about himself. And so what does he do? He sets up an altar. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds like, hey, this guy's got a relationship with the Lord. He sets up an altar. But he puts it right between Hai and he puts it right between Bethel. And what does Bethel mean? It means house of God. What does Hai mean? It means ruin. He puts his tent right smack dab in the middle between the house of God and ruin. And I'm telling you, when you choose to follow the Lord in partial obedience, you're doing the exact same thing. It can go one way or the other. One way or the other. And we set the altar, and we'll read our Bibles, and we'll have moments of sacrifice and, and offering, and we'll praise the Lord. We'll even call on the name of the Lord in partial obedience. God does not speak to him again until chapter 13. God no longer has anything to say to him at all. So he continues to move south, verse 9, away from God's presence, away from God's promise. And then he gets to verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. All right, so there's a famine. It's not just a famine, it's like a really grievous famine. And so he says, hey, let's keep on moving south. And so he goes down into Egypt, because it says in verse 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt. Well, okay, so he goes into Egypt. And here's the problem. Instead of trusting in God's word, Abram trusts in what he saw through the lens of partial obedience. Remember, when I'm looking at things through the lens of par partial obedience, I'm not going to appreciate where God has me. And so he, here, here's, you got to get this, verse 10. And here's your point on your, on, your, on your sheet, is partial obedience focuses on the circumstances. When you choose to dwell in partial obedience, you're going to focus on your circumstance. There's a famine in the land, and not just any famine, it's a really, really difficult one. It's almost as if Abram's saying, this is where God wants me, but it's really, really hard here. That's usually evidence that that's where God wants you. Can I just be honest? But it's really, really hard. Yeah, it is. And nothing's growing. And so he runs away. He runs down into Egypt. All right, so let me give you something practical here. Let me just camp out just, just here for a moment. When it seems like nothing's growing where you are, when it seems like there's no fruit, there's nothing growing where you are, can I remind you of our passage in Luke chapter 13 when we talked about the different soils and the stony ground and, and the parched ground and all that? When it seems like nothing's growing, you are the one that's supposed to be growing. That's the opportunity for you to grow. And how do you do that? By being rooted first. 
you grow down. And so often we look around and there's nothing green around, nothing's happening around. And so we get focused on the circumstance and we take a choice. And here's the choice that we make. We can either grow through what we go through, grow through what you go through, or you can go somewhere that stumps your growth. That's your choice. Grow through what you go through, or you can go somewhere else that's going to stunt your growth. And he chooses option B. He says, I'm going to go down into Egypt. Now, look what he says here in verse 10. There's a word here I want you to see. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to, what's the next word? Sojourn. There's a, day, there's, there's a word you don't, you don't use every day. It's almost as if he's saying, I'm not staying there. I'm just going to visit for a while. I'm just going to go do it for a little bit. It's just for a season. How many times have you ever said that? I'm just going to go do this for a season. I just need to go get a break. I just need to go get, get some help here. So this can't be what God wants for me. I mean, there's famine in the land. So he runs to Egypt. And here's the problem. Here's the next point. Is that partial obedience seeks for a change of scenery. We look at the circumstance, and immediately we want to change the scenery. And so he, he, he goes to Egypt to provide for his needs. Well, it must be hard. It's tough. I need a change of scenery. Well, that's not always going to solve your problem. You ever noticed people that show up in your workplace that came from another workplace, that came from another workplace, that came from another workplace? Everywhere they go, they have the same problem. It's usually an authority issue, Right? Everywhere they go, there's a problem here. There's a problem here. There's a problem here. I don't like this job. I don't like this job. The problem's you, man. You the problem. You can look at your circumstance and change the scenery, but it don't change you. Ain't nothing about you any different. That's what God's trying to do. All right, so then you get into this crazy story. This blows my mind. What's getting ready to read in verse 11 through 13. So they're showing up into Egypt. And as they're riding along or they're walking along or whatever, he looks over at his wife. And, she goes, and he goes, babe, you are gorgeous. And he's just like, oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. No, I mean, babe, you are like beautiful. Oh, thank you. He's like buttering her up. And says, I, I, I need you to do me a solid. Can, can you do me a solid? Oh, yeah. That means... I mean, it's a favor for, for the rest of us. Hey, can, can you do me a favor? Yeah, babe, what, what do you want? Well, when we get there, um, they're going to notice that you're beautiful too. Can you, can you tell them that we're brother and sister and we're not married? Say, what? Yeah, I, I want you to pretend that you're my sister instead of my wife. Well, why? Because they're going to come and take you. And uh, I don't want to die. Can, can you help me out that way? And so she submits to her, to her husband. And they show up in the town. And word gets around, hey, did you see this new girl? She's really pretty. She's beautiful. Pharaoh takes her into his house. All right, just read this. This is crazy. Verse 11. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. 
but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. I mean, you love me, don't you? I mean, if you really love me, you do this for me. That's called manipulation right there. Ladies, men are good at manipulation. All the men said, yeah, that's true. Especially you young ladies, can I just speak to you? If he's saying, if you love me, you'll do this, run! Run for the hills! He's selfish. That's your next point. Partial obedience prioritizes self-preservation. If you really love me, you'll do this. If you really love me, oh yeah? All he cares about is himself. He is willing to sell his wife out so that he can keep breathing. And this is learned behavior because his son does it later. Does the exact same thing. He's unwilling to die for his wife. He's unwilling to lay down his life for his wife. But his wife plays along. Sure enough, verses 14 to 20, that's exactly what happens. They're whispering, hey, do you see Sarah? Oh, yeah, she's beautiful. They whisper to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, go get her. I'd like, I'd like to have her as part of me. And so he goes and brings her into Pharaoh's house, and God says, we ain't playing this game. It causes great plagues over Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh's like, ever since you came in here, things haven't been going well. There's been drama. Ever since you walked in the house, um, what, what's going on? And it comes to, gets found out. But in the meantime, Pharaoh has bought him off. Now get this, verse 16. And he entreated Abram, this is Pharaoh. He entreats Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. Says, hey, that's your, that's your sister? I want to give you all of this so I can have her. And what Abram said, wait, wait, wait. That's like too good to be true. I get to still be living, and I'm going to get rich? Awesome. God must be on my side. Here's the next point. Partial obedience equates wealth with blessing. Partial obedience equates wealth with blessing. And there's some of that charlatan teaching happening all over TV and your radio today. God wants you to be wealthy, and that's the proof of blessing. Okay, you got to jump through hoops for about 150 passages to prove that one to me. Because that's not true. Wealth is not a proof of blessing, and yet partial obedience says, this worked. I mean, you can imagine Abram, wait, wait, I'm here, I got food in my belly, and not just that, I came in here broke as a joke, and now I got all this stuff because my wife saved my bacon, saved my life. Oh man, she must love me. Can you imagine how she must feel? Nothing more than a pawn, nothing more than a token. Unloved, un just completely manipulated. But here's what happens. He prospers at the expense of his family. And how many fathers and how many husbands dwell just like that? They'll read their Bible. They'll be following the Lord in partial obedience. And it's costing their family. But they're accumulating. They got all this and they got all that. And it looks good on the outside. 
It ain't God doing the blessing. That's the world. Egypt is a picture of the world throughout the entire Bible. He runs to the world for blessing. And the world was happy to give him stuff. You find that all throughout Scripture. In fact, you'll find it in a couple chapters later. You find out what the, what the world really wants. They want souls. And they were happy to give you bling-bling, as much bling-bling as possible, to get souls. All right. So Pharaoh calls him out and says, hey, why would you do that? Why would you lie and say, um, she's, she's your sister when she's really your wife? He goes, because I want her to stay alive, dude. And Pharaoh's so hot, he's mad. He says, get out of here. Get out, leave. And so what does Abram do? Chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him, and Lot with him into the south. I don't imagine that being a very silent ride back, right? I, at least I wouldn't expect it. That had to be like, I can't believe you just did that. I, mean, I, can, just, I can only imagine just how loud that, that going back to home must have been. And Lot's with him going, oh, wow, this is crazy. And here's the crazy thing is Lot's get rich and, and Abram, they both get rich. And so they're walking out of Egypt completely wealthy. And yet they're in partial obedience. All right, so the last thing here. I will appreciate where God has me when I look through the lens of complete obedience. So what happens? He goes back to where he got off track. He goes back to that spot between Bethel and Hai. That's what he does. Complete obedience begins by going back to where you got off track. And maybe you're saying, Tony, I kind of relate to all this. This is kind of my story. I'm, I mean, I'm not selling out my wife or anything, but it is kind of my story. I feel like I know what God wants me to do, and I'm kind of playing with it. I'm not really sold out. I haven't really done it. I've kind of been just doing this partially, and I feel like God's never fully with me. What do I do? Then here's my advice to you. Go back to where you went off the rails. Go back to that moment. Call it out. Get back to that moment. Where did I go wrong? Where did it go south? And he goes right back there. Notice this, verse three. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Because this is the last place I felt like God was leading me. Can I, I'll, just, I'll just go right back there. So what does he do? He goes back to the altar. And he goes right back to entering into God's promises. And it says, verse four, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I told you earlier, God hasn't spoken to him yet. Did you notice? He hasn't spoken to God either. They just went silent. Put my Bible down. Quit having a quiet time. Don't have anything to say to God, and God has nothing to say to me. Your life is going to end up a wreck. But check this out. Verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And they 
start magnifying, getting so big in the land that there's not room for both of us. And so Abram comes up to him and says, hey, I got a plan. Um, you got a whole lot. I got a whole lot. We can't dwell in the same spot. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He's never willing to leave. He always wants everybody else to leave. But at least he's getting there, right? He understands. I need him to go. And so he causes him to leave. And so Lot picks up, looks up his eyes, and he sees all the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, and he heads that way, and he pitches his tent towards that way. And so verse 11, chapter 13, verse 11, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. By the way, if you're a Bible study student, you know, when people are going from west to east, they're going in rebellion to the Lord. When people are going east to west, they're, not, they're in walking with the Lord. So he's heading towards the east in rebellion to the Lord. And it says, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot in the cities of the plain. We don't have time to get into all of that. Well, I want you to see something in verse 14. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Abram. Woo, I love that. The Lord said unto Abram. Oh, when did he do that? Why did he do that? Notice the next phrase. After that lot was separated from him, he's finally in complete obedience. The very thing God had spoken to him years before in Ur of the Chaldees. Leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your family, leave it all behind unto a land that I'll show thee. He did it all. He finally gets there going through partial obedience. He leaves, but he takes his dad with him. He takes a lot with him. He waits for dad to die. He heads on down to the land. Great, that's awesome. Partial obedience because Lot's still with him. Doesn't trust the Lord. He leaves the land of promises, goes down to Egypt. Seems to prosper. Things go south. He heads back to where God wants him. He finally says, Lot, you got to go. I'll go this way. You go that way. The moment Lot leaves. God says, now. Lift up now. Man, I love that. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. Why did God not tell him that in the first place? Because he had clouded vision. He couldn't see. Partial obedience clouds our vision. But now that he's in complete obedience, God says, okay, now I want you to see north, south, east, and west. Look everywhere. Check it all out. For the land, verse 15, for the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Oh, that's the deal. Remember the first time, all I could see was what was in the future. He couldn't see what God had for him now. And now God says, no, I gave it to you too. Sorry, I mean, a little excited. Come down. Verse 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and, what's the next word? Dwelt. He's been sojourning for years. And he finally finds a place to dwell. Sounds a lot like John 15, 
to abide. To plant roots. This is where God wants me. He removed his tent that came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Everywhere he goes, he's wanting to build an altar. Everywhere he goes, he's wanting to call on the name of the Lord. Well, that, that's awesome. Let me close out with this. When I'm in complete obedience, when I'm in complete, I have nothing more on the screen. But when I'm in complete obedience, I'm gonna be in a position where God can speak to me and use me. God doesn't speak to him until he's in complete obedience. He says, now I got something to say. And maybe that's where you are. You're in a spot where you know what God's wanting you for you, God's directing you, and you feel like he hasn't said anything to you in a long time. Could you be dwelling in a partial obedience? And if so, then get back to where you got off track. Figure out where you're disobedient and dis get rid of that and allow God to speak. But when you're in complete obedience, you finally have eyes to see things the way that God sees them. That's vision. Look north, south, east, and west. Then God says, I want you to walk in the length and the breadth of it. In other words, you'll finally walk, but only when God says walk. Your fate, you'll be guided by, your steps will be guided by the Lord, right? It's not a man that walks to direct his steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. He only walks now when God says to walk. Praise the Lord. And then lastly, you're going to choose to dwell. When you're in complete obedience, you'll want to dwell where God has led you to be. If this is where God has led you to be, you'll choose to dwell there. If that's the ministry God's led you to, then you'll dwell there. You won't keep moving around. If this is the city God's moved you to, then you'll dwell there. This is the church that God's brought you to, then you'll dwell there. This is a spouse God's led you to, you'll dwell there. Is this the job? Okay, whatever it is, dwell there. But you're never gonna wanna do it unless you're in complete obedience. You'll always be driven by your circumstances, looking for a change of scenery, seeking out self-preservation, thinking that money and wealth that the world has to offer it's truly God's blessing. And it's going to wreck your home and it's going to wreck your life. Get back to where you got off track. No longer be satisfied with partial obedience. Just choose complete obedience and watch God do the blessing. How do you know God's blessing? When he's speaking and when he's guiding and when he's directing and you just want to be in his presence. That's complete obedience. I'm not promising it easy. In fact, I'm promising it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. But if God has singled you out, he wants to use you mightily. Don't think right now, think generationally. God desperately wants to use you. Will you let him? That, that's the message that God has for us out of chapter 12, verses, chapter 12 and 13. Let's stand together. We need to respond. So if you need to, we don't have an altar, right? We don't, we don't do altar calls very often. 
but I feel like we need to respond to the word of God, just like we're called to. Let's respond. Has there been a moment in your life where you know beyond a shadow of doubt that God has spoken to you and given you direction? And you can go to book, chapter, and verse and say, this is the moment I knew God was speaking to me, but I haven't really been all in. I've just been playing the game. What I want you to do is go back to that passage, go back to that moment, go back to that spot in your heart and in your mind and give it to the Lord and say, I'm, I'm back, I'm here. This is where I want, this is where I want to be. I'm tired of this partial obedience. Whatever it is that's holding you back, circumstances or scenery or self-preservation or, or the money, whatever it is, whatever it is that's got you distracted, call it out for what it is to the Lord. Let's get back to that place. And maybe you're saying, Tony, I, I feel like I haven't heard from God. I don't know. I don't know what God wants for me. Then you need to put yourself in a position to just hear from the Lord. I got news for you. He doesn't speak from the clouds and he doesn't speak through signs. He speaks through his written word. If you're not opening your Bible, I guarantee this, you're not hearing from the Lord. Fact. Just carve out some time. God, please speak to me, guide me, and I want to walk in complete obedience to that. And maybe you're on that journey. You said, you know what? I'm, I'm finally there. I'm to a spot where I want complete obedience to the Lord. Then dwell there. Quit playing games. Dwell there. Dave, will you come up and close us in prayer? We'll be dismissed. I love you guys.